website. It's hungtgirl.com, spelled like my name here on Twitch. You can click on the pictures there. They're actually free videos. I update them every week. You can um, get a subscription, a membership, make a donation, or just check out the free stuff. All of the above are very much appreciated. All of it helps. Thank you. You can um, also, um, it'll appear differently whether you're on a laptop, computer, or mobile device. Um, just enable the plugins and it'll start playing for you. Um, and you'll get more videos if you do happen to use your laptop or PC. But there are videos on your mobile device. Just click the blue mobile movie charm and it'll start playing for you. Um, you can also see what we do here uh, with the Naked Truth and the Living Water Chapel um, pages there on my site. Just click those and you'll see what it's about. And what it is about is where we go over the spiritual side of someone, the spiritual side of me, um, and focus on uh, the Gospels of Jesus Christ, on the red letters in particular, because those are quotes attributed to Jesus. And as I always say, you're a Christian, what Jesus has to say on any subject should be the last word on it. He's the authority. That's what his point was to come and bring us. So we're going to pick up where we left off in the book of John now. We um, made it to John chapter 4, and in that chapter, Jesus came across a woman who had um, five husbands, six husbands. She had many, many husbands, and it doesn't say whether they, they died or whether, you know, whether she's a widow or whether she's a prostitute with many different uh, clients who are husbands of someone else. As Jesus specifically tells her, the one the husband she has now isn't her husband. So it could be the case that she is a working girl or she's been multiple time divorced or she's been widowed many times. It's not clear. Um, what is clear that Jesus was able to tell her about herself, let her know that he knows her history without her even having to tell him. And that was enough for her to believe that he had the divine um, element to him working in him to be able to tell her something about him, Tell for him to be able to tell her something about herself that she hadn't shared with him. So um, that's what happened in John chapter four. We're going to pick up in John chapter five, um, beginning at verse one. You can get your Bible and read along or just listen and either way be blessed. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went to up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first, after the stirring of the water, was made well of whatever disease he had. So none of that is red letters, but it lets you know that the writer is letting us know here that at some point in the past, uh, miracles happened around that water. So people would return to that water, hoping a miracle would happen again. And they're, they're attributing it to an angel coming down and um, stirring up the water and that being the cause of the healing. And um, there's no other real documentation of it in the Bible other than that. But it kind of sounds like to me um, how I think it were the Greeks who used um, oracles, who they would um, they um, be influenced by waters, not knowing at the time that those waters had different chemicals in them, different gases in them, um, hot springs sort of, but they had um, chemical elements in them that could bring on sort of um, uh, almost like an LSD acid type experience where you have a psychedelic experience and may be able to see things like see, like 
prophetically see beyond what's physically around you, but open your under, opens their understanding to be able to see uh, beyond that. So it, um, similarly, what's happening there is the people believe that if they get to the water, they can get a healing because at some point an angel had come down and healed. Um, now, a certain man was there who had an unclean, an infirmity, 38 years. So um, you have someone there um, who's been sick for a very long time, 38 years, and he's looking for his healing there gathered at the pool. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he already had been in that condition a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? So it's a real simple question that Jesus is asking him. And it's kind of a, seems like it'd be a crazy question since it's probably, the pool is probably full of people looking to get healed and want to be made well. But like I've said before, Jesus doesn't assume anything when he um, does these things. When he asks them, what is it you want from me? It's not like he can't see that the person is blind or in this case, the person is lame and laid up at the pool. But maybe the person has a headache. Maybe the person has a tummy ache. Maybe the person has a gambling problem they're looking for help with. Jesus doesn't assume anything. He asks him, Do he, does he want to be made well? Really plain. The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I'm still while I'm coming, another steps down before me. So the man didn't even answer Jesus' question that, yes, he'd like to be healed. Instead, he reflected back on his own experience that he would like to be healed. And as he tries to get healing, other people get into that water first and they in that way, sort of steal the steal the blessing from him because he's not able to get in the water and get the healing before them. Um, again, that doesn't answer what Jesus asked him. Jesus said to him, rise, take up your bed and walk. So Jesus doesn't even give him a chance to answer again of whether he wants to be healed or not. Jesus goes ahead and performs the healing. So that should tell us, that tells us another thing that some preachers will tell you that God will only act on faith that's not true at all. This is another example of when the person didn't even ask Jesus for the healing, and yet Jesus provided the healing for him. And there are other examples of um, uh, Jesus providing healings or resurrections of people or exorcisms without the people necessarily necessarily even asking him. Um, like we read in Luke uh, chapter 5, how people came to him with the faith to know that he could heal them and deliver them. In this case, the man wasn't even answering Jesus according to the things he was asking him, and he needed the healing, and still Jesus gave it to him. It didn't stop Jesus from acting in his favor. Um, and he, he did it by just giving him a, a command to rise up and walk. Immediately, the man was made well, took up his bed, and walked, and that day was the Sabbath. The Jews therefore said to him who was cured, it is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. So that goes to the Old Testament um, commandments about remembering the Sabbath and keep it holy. Um, do no work on the Sabbath that that was forbidden and all of that. You can read about it in the Old Testament. I think it's in Exodus. And so the religious people, again, they're not rejoicing that the man was healed. They're not rejoicing because he's right there by the pool. I'm sure they must have seen him before looking for healing and hadn't gotten it. Um, because like you said, other people would get there before him. So they're not concerned with or rejoicing that the man is suddenly healed now. Instead, they're looking at what he's doing wrong. In fact, fault finding, which is um, basically a function that usually the devil is uh, attributed with or credited for looking for fault to accuse, cause guilt, walking this, walk in the sin, that sort of thing. Um, so that's what the religious people are doing. They're looking at what went wrong, that the fact 
that he's gotten the healing on the Sabbath day, the day of rest. Uh, he answered them, he who made me well said to me, take up your bed and walk. So the man who was healed responds to the religious leaders, letting them know, well, the one who healed me is the one who told me to take up the bed and walk. You know, even though it's the Sabbath, it's the rest day. They, then they answered, then they asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? So it's like they, um, they want, I guess a solid witness to know who it is that's actually performing these works and particularly on a Sabbath day and then also instructing someone else to break their Sabbath law of not doing any work at all on the Sabbath day. But the one who was healed did not know who it was for Jesus had withdrawn a multitude being in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you've been made well. Sin no more, lest the worst thing come upon you. So that lets you know, in this case, uh, the man's sin was most likely related to whatever it is. Whatever the man's sin is, was most likely related to whatever it is that was ailing him for all those 38 years that he couldn't get relief from. And Jesus is giving him a warning, letting him know to leave the sin alone. Uh, otherwise, something worse could come upon him. And there are lots of different um, um, sins that it could, he could be guilty of. Jesus doesn't go into detail of what it is. But he's letting him know, don't keep it up. Change your ways. Repent. Relent. Stop what you're doing. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. So you see how Jesus got repaid for his good deed. He, The person went back and instead of, um, he was probably a little ticked at Jesus telling him not to sin anymore. Just like how a lot of Americans are when they're told things for their own good, like uh, to social distance, for instance. They'll be like, Oh, you're not going to tell me what to do. Certain people, American people, are stubborn like that. And it's like, even if it's to their own detriment, they don't care. They rather you not tell them what to do. So they rather be disobedient than to save their own lives. Similarly, the man there has gotten healing. And rather than focusing on the fact that the person who healed him didn't ask anything from him in return, just told him simply, don't go back to those sins that you were doing. Otherwise, something worse could happen. So that was enough to offend him or put him off enough that he went and told the religious people who were questioning him about who did it, that it was Jesus. Excuse me. For this reason... The Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had long, he'd done these things on the Sabbath. So I let you know that the religious people are after him, even though they're seeing the miracles because they just saw another one just there, right there. They have a witness of another miracle right there that he's performed. Um, rather than rejoice in that or um, even try and put two and two together that he's the fulfillment of the prophecies from the Old Testament that they've been preaching, teaching, and looking forward to, Rather than do any of that, they're plotting to kill the person who's performing the miracles, Jesus. But Jesus answered them, my father has been working until now and I've been working. So now Jesus is saying that um, he and God are um, both at work and that um, he's going to go into it further. But it's sort of like what he told his uh, mother when he was a little kid and they found him in the temple after they after uh, they'd gone a couple of days journey without him, not realizing he wasn't with them. When they found him, he said, don't you know, I must be about my father's business. Similarly, he's letting us know here there's work to be done. And that's what he's about. He said the father's been working and he's been working. 
Therefore, the Jews sought all the more to kill him because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. So um, they were doubly offended at Jesus because he broke the Sabbath law. Don't do any work on the Sabbath, which is basically most in some in in the their religion. It's probably Saturday. Um, in the Christian faith, it's Sunday. In the Muslim faith, it's Wednesday. Whatever the day it is, it's the day you're supposed to take rest um, and do no work. And presumably to dedicate that day to uh, focusing on, meditating on, and spending time with God. Um, the day of rest, the Sabbath day. Uh, then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son of the son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the father do. For whatever he does, the son also does in like manner. So Jesus is letting him know that all the things he does are just um, mimicking, mirroring what God himself does as far as uh, creations and healings and that sort of thing. For the father loves the son and shows him all things that he himself does. And he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. So he's letting him know he's just getting started. If they're um if they're in awe by him healing the man at the pool there who needed healing, he's like, there's a whole lot of other things you're gonna see that happen that uh, are gonna make this pale in comparison. Um, and he's saying that he's doing it in um, conjunction with the Father, the will of God. For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom He will. So he's drawing parallels between the functions of God and giving life and things. And he's saying that similarly, he has the same power to give life. So, of course, this is not going to please them. Um, for the father judges no one but has committed all judgment to the son. So that's a verse that a lot of a lot of people get wrong. They always say, no, one, only God can judge me. Jesus is letting you know they are God, the Father anyway, is not going to judge anyone. That's not what's going to happen. And if you're a Christian, you should hang on to that, that it's not God that's going to be doing the judging. It's Jesus who's going to do the judging, and you're going to be judged by his word. He's going to go into it further, but he's letting us know there that that's not the role of God. That's not what God is doing, uh, passing judgment, which kind of calls into mind the Old Testament when people would seemingly be judged, like even when they're trying to do good works, like uh, make an offering. If they do it the wrong way, they get zapped and uh, sort of blown away. So it makes you um, wonder if that's really God in the Old Testament who reacts that way, or is this God who Jesus is preaching, who has left all of that work to Jesus? Um, for as the Father raises the dead, oh, sorry, for, uh, for the Father judges no one, uh, got that one, that all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Um, he who does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. So Jesus is saying that these powers that work in him, and he's been giving that power to um, do the judgments and the healings because it's meant to bring glory to him. Um, and that if you're going to worship God, then you should be worshiping Jesus. And that you really can't worship and honor one without honoring the other. And if you do, then... You might not be honoring God. You might be honoring someone or something else. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but is passed from death into life. So Jesus is saying that you could pass from judgment altogether. And that again, this is 
uh, contrary to what a lot of preachers and teachers and churches will tell you, that oh, there will be a judgment day where everybody's judged and the books are cracked open. And if your name's not in there, like it says in Revelation, Jesus is saying completely not that at all. Jesus is saying, if you believe in him, if you believe in Jesus and believe God, uh, if you believe in God, if you believe in Jesus, both the one who sent him, he says, you'll pass from judgment and death into everlasting life. So again, believe what you want to believe. But if they're telling you that there's going to be that judgment day when all of that happens, which it does say in Revelation that some people are judged by what's written there, that should, it should cast doubts on whether that's actually Jesus talking, whether it's actually true, um, and what you want to believe. Do you want to believe what Jesus said or do you want to believe what someone else said? We have only one that came here as our, as our Savior, so I feel like that's who you should lean toward, completely all in on, on believing. Most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of, Man, of God and those who hear will live. So Jesus is going really deep here with them because most of them don't even believe there is a resurrection. But Jesus is letting them know a time is coming when those people who are dead are going to hear his voice and live. Um, sorry. Um, so um, that tells us a couple of things. Other preachers will preach to you that uh, once you die, absent from the flesh is present with the Lord. Jesus didn't say that at all. That's people's teachings. Those are doctrines of men. Other people will tell you in Ecclesiastes, once the cord parts, um, that you, your soul returns to the Father. Jesus didn't say that at all. And he gave us another example in Luke chapter 16, where two people died. A rich man went to hell, and the, the poor man, the beggar, went into Abraham's bosom. It doesn't say heaven. It says Abraham's bosom. And um, uh, um there's no mention of God in either place. There's no mention of being a, of a judgment at e in any place, in hell or in heaven. So um, it's just something to consider on what you're calling truth and teachings and what Jesus actually had to say on things. So, um, But Jesus is letting them know a time is coming when even the dead are going to hear his voice and live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he's granted the Son to have life in himself. So again, Jesus is mirroring the powers that God has um, by doing them the works here on earth for humans to see and presumably believe. And has given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the son of man. So he's letting him know he's the son, letting us know he's the son of man. He's the son of God in the form of man so that... Um, we can believe. And he says he's given him all he's given him authority to execute judgment. So again, it's not God doing the judging. The judgments are left up to Jesus. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice. So Jesus is saying there's still people's souls in the graves and that they can hear. So um this seems like it would apply to the people in Luke chapter 16 who are in hell. Although it doesn't really say that it's referring to them, um, but those who are in the grave. So it could also mean that until Jesus' crucifixion, there were there might have been a different order of things of what happens to people when they die. Do not marvel at this, Jesus is saying. So don't um, don't let it be a wonder to you that he has that power to raise the dead and come forth those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. So Jesus is saying at his word, that's what's going to happen.
happen. Some people are going to be justified and brought into everlasting life. And other people are going to be condemned and, um, you know, not make it. I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous. Because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. So that sort of goes to the heart of when preachers preach out of their own intellect, out of their own heart, out of their own dogma, what it is they think you should be doing, rather than focusing on what Jesus had to say. And even if the ones who don't preach what their own heart says, they'll preach other things in the Bible that aren't what Jesus had to say. And if you're an Old Testament person, if you're Jewish, that's fine, since that's what you're trying to use to find salvation. But if you're a Christian, then uh, you should focus on the New Testament. And when you focus on the New Testament, you should be focusing on what Jesus had to say. Because there are other people's preachings in the Bible, particularly in the New Testament, that don't align at all with what Jesus had to say. So the term comes down to being a choice for you or for us, whether we want to follow the preachings and teachings of a person who's looking for glory for themselves. And some of them got it. Like Paul got it. His, his word is right alongside Jesus's here in the Bible and has lasted all these years and is actually preached even more than Jesus's is in most churches. Um, but that's not going to save you just because your church is teaching it to you. It's Jesus is saying very clearly it's his words and it's, it's um, his teachings that will either justify you or condemn you. Um, if I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. So Jesus is saying that about himself, but it's also true of anybody else um, in life. If somebody tells you, oh, I'm the best at that, oh, I'm great at this, oh, I'm fabulous at that, they may be, but the fact that they're saying that is sort of lessens the, it makes it harder to believe that it's true because they're saying it about themselves rather than someone else saying it about them. It'd be like a business giving you their own great reviews of how their business is rather than checking out what other people have posted about that business and seeing what they had to say. Uh, similarly, Jesus is saying the same thing. He's not going to witness of himself and say how great he is. There's another who bears witness of me, and I know that the witness which he witnesses of me is true. So Jesus is about to give four different witnesses who are, who he's going to use as examples of pointing to the fact that he is who he is, and he is doing what he's doing. You've sent to John, and he's bore witness to the truth. So John is John the Baptist, who he's talking about there. And truly, like when we read about it earlier, when um, the religious leaders confronted John, they were like, well, are you, the, are you the Christ? Or are you Elijah? Who are you? Are you the prophet? That sort of thing, wondering where does he fit into the big picture of the prophecies? And who is he that they should be could be looking for? Um, that's who, John, who Jesus is referring to as John. And John pointed to Jesus as the, um, the Lamb of God. Yet I do not receive testimony from man, but I say these things that you may be saved. So he's letting him know John bore witness of him, but John is just a human and God doesn't need a, a human to witness for him when he's right there with them working the miracles and showing it. So he's letting him know he's just giving them an example. John is just one person who was sent to them to let us all know Jesus's divinity. Um, but he's saying that don't worry about that. That's human um, witness. He was burning in a shining lamp. And you were willing for a time to rejoice in his light. So Jesus is letting him know that John shone the light to, for people to be um, directed toward Jesus. He even said that he is the Christ, that he's the one that they should follow, and that he must decrease while John must, uh, uh, Jesus must increase while John must decrease. So John was that light pointing to Christ, pointing to the salvation. 
but I have a greater witness than John's works that which the Father has given me to finish the very works that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. So Jesus is saying, besides the human witness that John gave, the miracles that he's performing, the works that he's doing, like the um, multiplying the fish and the loaves, or turning water into wine, or raising the dead, all those things are witnesses that he is who he is. And he's saying, so you have that as a witness, you have John the Baptist as a witness, um, and the Father himself who sent me has testified of me. You've neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. So that's a very interesting verse because Jesus says there, at no time has have they heard God's voice or seen his form, which again contradicts what the Old Testament says where there were different accounts of people seeing God, walking with God, talking with God. Um, so that lets us know that either Jesus is saying only these people here who he's around right there have never seen God, or he's saying at any time, uh, which he did say, no one at any time. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. So it again, you may want to believe in the Old Testament, but clearly the people who were encountering what they called God in the Old Testament were either encountering um, some other deity or um, I don't know. But Jesus is letting, making it clear here that no one, that at any time they haven't heard God's voice or seen his form. And again, that contradicts what the Old Testament says. So as a Christian, you have to choose. Do you believe uh, Old Testament writings or do you believe what Jesus had to say? But you do not have his word abiding in you because whom he sent him you do not believe. So Jesus is saying there, it's a choice. You, he, God sent Jesus to us to bring us the message, but people choose not to believe it. And he's saying... That's where they are right now. The witness of John wasn't enough. Uh, the witness of God wasn't enough. Because he says, Father, the Father himself who sent me has testified of me. Uh, and that would be sort of like in the prophets in the Old Testament um, that point to the coming of the Messiah, the Christ. Um, and he's saying his very works themselves. They testify, they show that he is divine, that he's uh, uh, the Savior, the Messiah. But you do not have his word abiding in you. So that lets you know that um, they, they're they not of God. That's why they won't hear. You search the scriptures. For them, you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. So that's the fourth witness there where Jesus is saying that the scriptures themselves. So you have God has testified. And I guess that would be like even at the baptism when he said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Although it, it, probably not because Jesus also said, you've never seen his heard, heard his voice or seen his form at any time. So that lets us know that, again, either he's only talking to these people specifically, or he's saying at any time ever, then that would mean an angel or something has spoken to him when that happened. But he's saying that's one witness. The scriptures being the Old Testament, um, not what they called it then, but the Old Testament, that's a second witness. John the Baptist is a witness, and the works, the miracles he's doing are another witness. But you are not willing to come Oh, uh, you search the scriptures for anything of eternal life, and these are, te are are they which testify of me, but you're not willing to come to me that you may have life. So Jesus is saying the way to life, everlasting that would be after this, the hereafter would be through Jesus. And he's saying they're just not willing to come to him. They refuse to accept it. Um, just like now, people refuse to accept the truth, even if they read it for themselves, even if they hear it for themselves, even if they see it for themselves. They will still believe a lie. And one quick example would be um, 
transgender people, if you look in the Bible, the very first person mentioned by name in the Bible was Adam. And it says very clearly that Adam was both male and female. He was what we'd call transgender, intersex, something like that, because it's from him that Eve came. And people will deny it, read over it, won't accept it at all, even though they'll read it right there. That's what it says. He was both, and then Eve was taken out of him. But people, because of their own beliefs or prejudices, most likely, just won't accept it. That's just one example. But Jesus is saying similarly, he's done all these works. The Baptist has testified of him, and uh, the scriptures point to him, and none of that is enough for them to believe, even though they see the miracles themselves and hear the preaching themselves. Um, but you're not willing to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive honor from men. So he's saying he knows that people won't honor him, that they're not um, out to give him any glory, and they aren't. But I know you, that you do not have the love of God in you. So Jesus, again, is reading their hearts, reading their minds, and letting them know, I can see what's in you, and it's not godly. And again, you can see that by what people preach now in churches. Are they preaching you what Jesus had to say about things? Or are they preaching you their take and their understanding of whatever it is without ever actually saying what Jesus had to say on any subject? That tells you where they're coming from. I've come in my, um, I've come in my Father's name and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, him you will receive. So this also came to pass also. Um, Jesus came uh, preaching God's word for us Christians to hear it and accept it. And yet people will not accept it. Yet they'll accept what someone else who comes along and preaches. Paul, for instance, if you read past the Acts, even in the Acts where Paul shows up on the scene, never was a disciple of Jesus, never walked with Jesus, at least according to the Bible, even according to himself, uh, never walked with Jesus. Yet people take his teaching as gospel and run with it. Entire organizations and churches are built on his teachings altogether and don't focus on what Jesus had to say at all. Yet call themselves Christian churches. How can you believe who receive honor from one another and do not seek the honor that comes from the only God? So Jesus is saying they're focused on the wrong thing. They're looking for, for glory from each other, like clout chasing, looking for clicks and subscribers and thumbs up and all of that, which is perfectly fine for its place. But he's saying when it comes to God and when it comes to seeking life everlasting, that's not where your heart should be. It shouldn't be about that. It shouldn't be about that at all. It should be about bringing glory to God and pleasing God with whatever it is you're doing. Um, do not think that I can't. I shall accuse you to the Father. There's one who accuses you, Moses, in whom you trust. So he's letting him know that one, that Moses lives um, even though he's not here with us physically, um, that he lives in the hereafter and that that's who they're leaning on. They're trusting in Moses' teaching being basically the Old Testament, that that's what they're leaning on as their gospel truth. And he's letting them know by denying him, Moses, who they lean on, is actually going to thumbs down them, let them know that they've gone wrong. And he's saying, and Moses teaches them, um, Moses teaches themselves are enough to condemn them and accuse them um, because um, that's who they're trusting in, but they're not believing the prophecies that he said would happen. Uh, I guess Deuteronomy chapter maybe nine is where God basically says to Moses that he's going to send a prophet like him basically in the flesh. 
And that's who's going to bring his words to the people. Prophesying about Jesus, basically, in the Old Testament. And yet, they claim to follow Moses, but won't actually look for the fulfillment of those prophecies when it was standing right there, Jesus. For if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. Um, so one of the places I think where, um, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's Deuteronomy chapter 9, um, is where uh, that prophecy is given, where Moses was told that. So yet they claim to believe Moses, but don't actually believe his teachings either. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? So um, that's pointing, he's pointing that at them specifically, not at us uh, Christians, because we're trying to believe Christ's words themselves. But he's letting them know you aren't believing what Moses wrote, which is what you claim to be living by, uh, since Moses did point to him, and you're not willing to hear him either. So it's like you're not willing to hear either witness. And you're going to pay for it, basically. And that actually ends this reading. And I appreciate you checking it out with me. Hope it was a blessing for you as always. And I hope you'll join me again, God willing, for our Matt and Mark Mondays, for uh, again, our John and Luke Wednesdays, and God willing, Saturday nights after midnight, sometime early Sunday morning, we'll pick up where we left off in the book of Revelation. In the meantime, take care of yourself. Be careful. Be blessed. Thanks again. Peace.